for this religion that we preach. I keep on, keep on, keep pushing, for nothing's ever out of reach. Because the time we keep on driving, it's all Hi and welcome into our Luton Town International Podcast. My name is Gavin Daly and we are going to do a season review or a season preview in this episode. And joining me is my good friend all the way from Australia, Jared. How are you doing, Jared? Doing good, Gavin. Um, it's probably a little early to do a season review. Uh, if um, Having said that, if we did do a review, I'm yeah. sure there'd be a lot of people writing it down and we'd have some sort of back to the future two thing <laughs> going on that's that that's the 4 a.m kicking in right there that's what that is uh normally we normally you would start these things at the top and work your way down but you're everton i'm Luton. chances are both our teams are probably going to be down near the bottom so let's start at the bottom shall we who's going to get relegated jared well, there's a fair chance that you and I are doing this preview next season talking about our clubs in the championship, isn't there? Um, yep. <laughs> look, I... Oh, look, maybe I'm just hoping against hope, but I, I do... I do get the feeling that Everton will survive by the skin of their teeth again. Um, a lot of that is on the, the fossilised remains of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, admittedly. But um, I don't know. I just I just think that look, addition by subtraction, we don't have Frank Lampard managing us, and that's got to be worth three <laughs> or four points just by itself. Um, look, I I would look at I would look at this, and I hate to say it, but I have a feeling that Luton will go down, particularly if they don't get off to a blistering first month of the season. Um, I just as as much as I. Look, I have a feeling that Luton are even prepared for that. Even the purchases they've made strike me as the sort of purchases that will go really well in the championship in a season, of, you know, two seasons' time. Uh, I I think Forest are going to go down. I, I just don't think they can pull the magic that they did. Steve Cooper can't pull that magic again. And um, this one, I don't feel good about this one because I think he's a really good manager. But I see Wolves going down. It's just something that's not right at that club. Lopetegui's an awesome manager, but there's something that's on the nose at Wolves. I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right there. And I have a feeling that they may fall down this season. So we agree with one team. I also think Forrest will go down. Uh, obviously, as a Luton fan, I can't predict my own team to go down. So I'm not going to predict Luton to go down. I actually think Sheffield United will go down with Forrest. Um, mm. Having watched a lot of them last season as well with us in the Championship, I think that they're going to struggle massively this season in the Premier League. Uh, I don't think they've done enough in this in, in the transfer window either to help them. And I think Bournemouth are going to go down. Uh, I think last year they they had a great run coming at the end of the season, but I don't think they I don't think they can do that again. Uh, I would agree with you with the Wolves pick. Uh, Lepetegui is a fantastic manager. And the reason why I haven't put Wolves in that bottom three, because I really do think they're going to 
be in trouble this year is because of him. If 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 at any they decide to pull the trigger and fire him because I think it's going to be a really rough season for Wolves, I can definitely see Wolves going down. Uh, I, I, I think that will be the main thing. They need to hold on to Lepetegui. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree. He's going to be the main thing they've got going for them. And I, I look at I look at Nevers leaving, and I think that's your engine. That's that's got to be like eight points a season just from what Ruben Neves gives you. I I got to admit I strongly considered uh, Bournemouth and the Blades for this one as well, but ultimately I just I can't. And I got to admit I the realist thing we did very strongly consider Everton as well, but. Um, you know, if, if Everton don't get 25 games out of Calvert-Lewin, then as much as they, it looks like they're about to sign this young fella from uh, from Sporting, I can't, the name escapes me for the moment, but, you know, he's 19. He's played like 12 senior games. He's not going to be a, a Premier League saviour right away. So I did consider Everton for this one as well. But there's just something at Wolves that, I, I don't know, it's, you know, Jimenez, since that, that skull fracture just hasn't been the same, which understandable. Um, they've got a lot of players getting older. And, yeah, I mean, Ruben Neves was the guy that drove that team forward. He, he was he was their shield at the back of the midfield as well as their, the, the, the tip of the spear in midfield. And you can't replace that sort of guy, even if they do actually spend, which Wolves don't spend. So, yeah, I, I just have a feeling Wolves are going to be the surprise, quote-unquote, surprise relegation team. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I think they have a the, the fee for fair play, I think, is against them this, this year so far. So they haven't been really able to do anything in the transfer market as well. Uh, I do think Everton will be down, down there or thereabouts. I just don't think they've been enough in the summer again. But I agree with what you said in, in regards to Luton in that every bit of business they've done this year is taken into account that we're going to be in the championship next season. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that that's totally fine, you know. That the 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 promise is the the future, because I think if we go down, there's a good chance we can come straight back up again after that. And not only that, if one or two of these players actually hit form and hit hit it hit it hit it hit a stride, then we have every chance of staying up. If if we can finish 17th by one goal difference, then loot it, it's a win for Luton. Yeah. And, and look, like you said, uh, you know, it's not it's not a wrong decision to treat this season as a money grab for next season's championship. You know, that, that's not a bad decision. Like, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people sitting there going, well, it's the Premier League. You've got to fight to stay in it. You've done all this work to get there. But I don't necessarily think the Premier League was Luton's goal last season. It's... Sure, this it was compete, and if we get there, great. But I, like, this isn't something like, you know, the Blades or Watford or, or a club like that who their goal is getting in the Premier League and then trying to stick around for five, six, seven years. I think Luton's was, hey, let's let's just do what we can, and if we make it, let's treat it like a it's a lottery ticket, it's a free swing, and you know, let's make sure that we're sustainable. The last thing yep. you want to do is, is spend big, get get in veterans to try and get you to 40, 42 points, something like that, finish a comfortable 14th. And then they all fade away and you end up back where you started, but with less assets. Yeah, exactly. 
So going to the other end of the table, I think we'll probably both agree with this. Who's going to win the league? Yeah, look, um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to say it was somebody else, but until further notice, this is City's title to lose. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, Haaland coming in. I don't think anyone thought he was going to hit the ground running like he did. And you would think second season, he's just going to be even better. Well, it was one of those things where you would expect him to hit the ground running more than plenty of other strikers simply because, you know, English is his, you know, if if not his first language, then it's 1B. You know, this is a guy who was born and raised in England as much as he, he was in his homeland. And he does know the club. You know, his father captained the club. If he's going to know anywhere outside of the places he's played and Norway, it's going to be, you know, Elland Road and, well, you know, not that Main Road exists anymore, but Elland Road and City. So the big worry for me was that I thought he might struggle initially, mostly because of the contrasting styles of how Haaland plays and Pep's, you know, very structured tiki-taka style, but they just it just clicked like that. And you see so many players who they're so much better in their second season under under Pep. Um, you know, Jack Grealish was outstanding last season after looking like a waste the season yep. before. Um, you know, you, you look at uh, you know, Stones took a few years. Riyad Mahrez took a few years. All these players take a little while. Raheem Sterling took a little while to adapt. All these players take a little while to adapt. Now, if Harlan's adaptation period is 50-something goals, then Christ almighty, you know. <laughs> one, there's one thing that Evertonians have been holding on onto for, you know, 70, 80, 90 years now, and that's Dixie Dean's record. What's to say that's not broken if Harlan has another gear in it? The only yeah. thing that might stop it is rotation. Or injury. Yeah, but do robots need rotation? Do robots get injured? I, I... Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's highly unlikely, right? So we we both think cities winning the league. Who do we think is going to be tough for them? This is a tough one. Um, I had a look at a few here, and I counted out. I uh, yeah, I counted out Tottenham as much as I'm a like. In Australia, there are either Ange haters or there are people who worship at the altar of Ange, and I am in the latter. I think Ange is an awesome manager. Um, But it's going to take him a little while to get what he wants across to his troops. And I'm not not sure whether whether Harry Kane staying is a good or a bad thing, to be honest. Um, He prefers more mobile forwards than Kane, as much as Kane's really good at dropping deep. um, He's not you know, particularly east-west mobile. Um, I could actually see Son being a better, you know, number nine role for, for Ange's Spurs than, than what Kane could be. Um, so I, I counted them out. I think Brighton's going to fall away. I don't think Liverpool are going to push back in. So for me, it comes down to Arsenal, Man U, Newcastle. And honestly, I think Villa are right up there as well. And I decided to go with some combination of Arsenal, United, and Villa. I think Newcastle drop out. Okay. I went United, Newcastle, Arsenal in that order. I think United, 
The only thing they're missing is a striker. It looks like they're signing Hoyland. Uh, I don't mm. think he's going to be the answer in the first season, but I think it'll be a, it'll be better. Jaden Sancho's played that role for them in preseason and looked okay. So I, I think they're they're going to be better next season, especially with the signing of Mason Mount. And now that he's got now that Ten Hag's got a goalkeeper that will actually play the way he wants to play in in, in Onana, I think you know it'll be better. I think Newcastle. It's not even playing the way he wants to play, though, Gav. It's De Gea was just full of mistakes last season. It, like yeah. it's not even his feet; his hands were the issue, and that's you know it's not often that we've had to say that about him over the last twelve years or so. But he, he just he turned into a liability of a goalkeeper, let alone a liability of a ball player. I think his shot stopping was his only bright spot for a lot of years, and when that started to fade, as it has in the last couple of seasons, I think it was evident that he was going to be moved on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I picked United. I picked Newcastle. I think Newcastle will push on again this season. Haven't been impressed by their preseason on the games that I've seen, but I, I think there, there's enough there, and I, I rate Eddie Howe as a manager that I think he'll push on. And I think our are thereabouts, but I don't think they're going to have the season that they had last year. I, I think it's I, – I, I just – I think that was a one-off for Arsenal. Yeah, look, I if, – if you, if you push me to put them in order, I'd probably go Arsenal, United, and Villa. Um, I think Arsenal, yeah, they're not going to have the season they had last season. That was a little bit of a, a bolt from the blue that, that caught a lot of people by surprise. Probably Arsenal themselves, if, you know, truth be told. But at the same time, I think they're a better side. And I think they'll have a more consistent season. But I also think City will be ready for them a little bit more this time around. So I still think they'll finish second simply because they are the second most talented team in the league. But I think it'll be a more conventional second rather than the quote-unquote bottle job, which was never a bottle job. It was, yeah, they played above expectation and fell back to earth. Um, yeah, I think United will be better. Um, they're certainly stronger pretty much all over the park. And remember, they don't have the... Um, let's call it the distractions that they had early last season with a certain yep. Portuguese show pony. And as far as Newcastle, I think they'll fall away. And it's not necessarily Newcastle's fault, but much like Arsenal, I think the speed of Newcastle's rise caught a few clubs on the hop last season. And I think they'll be a lot more ready for them this time around. The quality will be there. I'd tip them to finish fifth. But I just have a feeling that they will be... Yeah, they'll be prepared for it. They'll be scouted a little harder this time around. Whereas Villa can take that role that Newcastle had last season of a really talented side, very much new and on the way up, and teams are still figuring them out and perhaps underestimating them a little. And, and honestly, I think Emery's just a genius manager. I think he's one yeah. of the best half a dozen managers in the world. So neither one of us have Liverpool in our top four. That's because I'm an Evertonian. <laughs> is the Evertonian shown through in it, or is there? No, no, I, I, no, no. I, <laughs> awesome. As much as I'd like to say that it's out of pure spite, it is actually an, an, an analytical take. I don't. I, I think that they are going to take another, you know, just a half step backwards. You know, they they are in the middle of a changing of the guard right now. And in two yeah. seasons, they might be pushing for the title again. But they're going to have two or three seasons where they're transitioning from the Salah, Mane, 
um, Firmino, Van Dyke, Henderson era onto this new era that's going to be led by, you know, Gomez and TAA and potentially Nunez and these sort of guys. So it's, it's, it's just going to be, as long as I don't fall out of either of the top two European leagues, um, you know, that, I don't think they'll be Champions League for the next couple of years, but as long as I don't fall out of the, uh, the Europa, then they're going to be in a reasonable spot to catapult themselves back up. But I don't think it's this season. And I mean, let's see what happens in 12 months time, but it might be another season of, you know, for, for Liverpool standards languishing. I, I I think I'm on the same page as you. I think that uh, it's going to take a couple of seasons for, for the change in the guard to, to kind of settle. Just too much changed in their midfield this year for me. To, for them to go and be any sort of threat to the title in, in this season. That's not to say that the players they brought in aren't good players. I just don't think you can have that much of an overhaul in such an important part of your team and yeah. not, not not pay the price somewhere along the line. So I, I think that's going to be a problem for, for Liverpool. And I actually and have them also, behind Newcastle. Yeah, now that's the thing. I, I would have Newcastle as fifth and I would have... Well, it depends on how Postacoglu goes at Tottenham, but either Tottenham or Liverpool in in sixth. I think goal scoring might actually be a real problem for them. Nunes, I, I'm not totally convinced. I think he's good, but whether he's great, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I've never really been all that sold on Diogo Jota. And, you know, there's no Mane, obviously. You know, they really missed him last season. Um, maybe Gapko can step up a little bit, but there's just a lot riding on Mo Salah and he's not, you know, as much as he's still Quicksilver, he's not getting any younger. He's, I think he's yeah. going to be 32 this season, if I've got that right. Yeah. And for a speedy, a diminutive speedy winger, this is the age where they can start to fall away. And those sort of players tend to fall very, very sharply with their decline is quick. So, yeah, I, I've got to admit, I actually think goals will be a, a real issue for Liverpool, which is not something we've said for quite a few years now. Not since Andy Carroll was leading the yeah. line, probably. Oh, Jesus. Andy Carroll, what, what a name. Yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 I'm I, not on the same page with you about Tottenham. I think Tottenham are going to struggle this season. Uh, mm. I don't know how the Harry Kane thing is going to finish, finish working out. Uh, he may end up staying and then leave the next summer for free, but either way, I don't think it's a, it's a good scenario for Spurs. I, I just, I think, again, it's it's a it's a situation where I think there's too many teams around them moving forward, and they're not. Mm-hmm. So I think they they could actually fall back. I think they'll still finish in the top ten, but it may be just just barely barely there. Where did they finish last season? Was it eight? Um, who do you, I think we kind of touched on it, but. I think they finished eight last season. Yeah. So I'm just looking it up now. Yeah. They were a point ahead of Brentford, a point behind Villa. Um, Look, I could could see them finishing probably seventh because I I honestly think that um, the Brighton's probably due for a little bit of a a step back. The the wild card there, there, though, is Chelsea. Um, You know, where does Chelsea get? They will rise up the table. It's just a matter of how much. Yeah. I'm still not convinced they have a striker that can score them goals. And I think that was a big problem for them last season. 
Yep, I I agree one hundred percent. Absolutely agree with you on that. I, I don't know where the goals come from there. They can create every little pretty passing triangle in the world, but you've got to you know what's the um the old dude that used to be on ESPN um used to talk about the old onion bag. Yeah, you got to put you got to get someone to put it in the old onion bag. I can't remember the dude's name now. Um, oh, it's going to bother me. I'll, it'll come to me after we finished recording, of course, so I'll message you. But, yeah. So who do you think is going to be the surprise package this season? Tommy Smith. That was who it was. Oh, oh, I hate him. Yep, no, so did I. So did I. You drove me nuts. That's what I was thinking of. Who do you think is going to be the surprise package this season? I think I've given it away with Villa. Um, but I don't know. Do they count going from seventh to fourth? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say moving from yeah. relegation. I don't. I, I don't think. I don't think most people would put Villa in their top four. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that counts. But um, if if we're saying that they're you know them going to fourth is just a continuation of the back end of last season, then I I'm actually tempted to say Fulham. Yeah, they finished top 10 last season. And you look at some of the teams around them. Yeah, we said that uh, the Chelsea should shoot up the table. Um, but I would, I think Fulham could, you know, sniff European football next season. They've just very quietly gone about their business. And they've picked up good players at good prices that fit well. They've kept Silver, who is finally. Um, I guess showing that potential as a manager that he's that everybody has said he's had for years. Um, maybe it just took him a few years to shake off being in Everton, but <laughs> I, I think that's a I think that's a really that's a really strong, very quietly strong and efficient side. The Cottages, I, I really like what they've done. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think they're going to have problems with Mitrovic obviously wanting to leave and go to Saudi Arabia, which is something we're going to touch on here in a little bit. Uh, They're going to have problems replacing him, I I feel. And also Paulini was injured in one of their preseason games. If he is gone for a while, which it looked like a bad injury, looked like probably a dislocated shoulder. If he's gone for a while, that's going to be a problem for Fulham because every time I watched Fulham last season, he was their standout player. He was the one that you kind of sat there and go, why isn't he playing for a bigger team? Mitrovic is yeah, and I, I agree with Paulinho. Absolutely, he's a he's very very good. Um, Mitrovic is an interesting one that I think that once the window closes, if they've kept him, that he will settle down and do his job again. But the one thing that worries me with Mitrovic is that last season he was always that guy who was too good for the championship, not good enough for the premiership. Um, think like a, a Darren Huckabee type going back a little while. And I'm wondering whether last season was a little bit of an outlier. And if it is an outlier and he's not getting the goals that he was, does that legendary temper of his start to flare up? And, you know, suddenly he becomes a liability who gets sent off once every six matches. So that's the biggest worry. It's not necessarily whether he leaves, because I think if they leave, they'll be able to replace him with someone pretty good. They'll get very good money for him. But it's more a case of if he's there, what Mitrovic do they get as far as ability to score and also ability to not lose his rag every every other day. Yeah, that's a fair point. 
I think my surprise package for being for 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 being good is going to be Burnley. Again, watched them mm. quite a bit last season, and I think Vincent Company plays a really good style of football. A really, uh, I, I think he has the team very well oiled. In that, I think they're going to cause some teams problems this season. I, I think I don't think it's going to be a top half finish, but I think it will be a finish that will see them. I think it'll be like a Bournemouth last season where I don't think coming into the last six or seven games of the season, there's any real chance of them going now. Yeah, I I think they're very good. And, and company has got that team playing superbly. And like, it's not even just it's a pretty style. Like, tactically, it's a really astute style. It's not quite as, say, what's the word for it? Revolutionary, I suppose, as... The last time Sheffield United came up with those overlapping centre backs and all that sort of thing, but um, yeah, I, I, I got to admit I didn't have them. Ah, I'll try English. I didn't have them as my surprise packet simply because I think they'll be good from day one, and, and I I really think they should be good from day one. Um, I think anyone, if there's people who are surprised by them, then I think it's just a case of they've got their Premier League blinkers on and just haven't watched enough championship football. I think that side is just so much better than the championship. They, they were better than half of, you know, oh, not half of, but they were better than maybe five or six sides that were in last season's Premier League. Yeah, easily, easily. Including, um, including and then my- obviously, including everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, obviously the surprise package on, on the on the bad end of it, I think I've given mine away. I think it'll be Tottenham. I think they'll. I think they're going to struggle. I think teams around them, as I said, have got better, and I think they're going to, they're going to find it extremely hard. And for that reason alone, I can't understand why they didn't cash in on Harry Kane this. Time. Well, they might still be so cashing. I in understand on Harry the reason Kane. of not wanting them to go to a Premier League club. Hmm. They well, might. They very well might. But I, it just didn't make sense. Well, apparently, Joe Lewis has come out and told Daniel Levy that he has to sell him. So. That to me says that he's going to buy, and uh, you know the reports I, I read are that his wife was quite sold on Munich, and clearly he's going to get high-end champion champion leagues champions league football, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't finally pick up a, a league trophy or any trophy really. So it does, and Bayern are willing to pay as well. They've got the, the finances to make it worth Tottenham's while. So it just it just strikes me as that deal that makes sense for all parties. It might take until, you know, a week before the deadline or something like that. But it just strikes me as, as too perfect a deal that came for Kane not to end up in in Munich, you know, by the end of the window. Um, the, the big thing will be how long does Levy hold out, and and how long does that give Postecoglou to replace the talisman. If, um, if it's going to be, you know, three days, 48 hours, 24 hours before the window shuts, then that, you know, Ange could be uh, getting a rude, rude awakening as to what working for Daniel Levy is like. Um, yeah, I've I got to admit, this whole Tottenham thing, as much as I think Ange is great, and he, the one thing that worries me about Tottenham and the Postacoglu relationship is that Postacoglu usually needs two seasons to implement what he wants to do. So the, the Celtic thing, which is when he, he's coming to the British consciousness through his time with Glasgow Celtic, 
And that was something where, bang, it just clicked right away. That is not the norm with Postacoglu. We talked about Pep before being a guy who his players need a season to get into the groove with what he does. Postacoglu is the same. He's not on Pep's level tactically. I'm not saying that. But he's got a very specific way of playing and he's very uncompromising on how how that is played. He'll adapt it to his personnel, but his core principles remain the same, which is fast passing, fast counter-attacking, a lot of um, you know, a lot of interplay between players, wide wings, all that sort of thing. And it just if it doesn't work out quickly, you know, if people are expecting a miracle <clears throat> in the same way he was able to conjure up miracles straight away at Celtic, then I think given the fact that he's from the other side of the world, um, that he's some guy who managed in Japan and he's managed in Australia and he's managed this and that and the other, um, I think people are going to say, oh, well, he found his level in Scotland. He's not good enough for this league. I think he is, but it's just a matter of how much patience Levy and Lewis and Tottenham fans in general have for Postacoglu. And that's what worries me, that they'll expect miracles straight away, whereas it generally takes you know, a second season to see the results of what Ange does. Celtic is the outlier, not, not the norm. So I have two questions for you based on that then. Do you think he'll get two seasons is my first question. And then my second question goes back to Harry Kane. Do you think he wants to leave England while he's chasing the Premier League goal-scoring record? I'll answer the second one first because it's an intriguing one. Um, how, how far away is he now? He's not too far. It's like 20, 20 something goals, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it might be a little bit more than that. I think it lo- probably for with, with the way he's scoring, you're probably looking at about two seasons. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, what's to say that he signs for Bayern for four years and comes back as a 34 year old and he's still able to, considering he, you know, he takes free kicks, he takes penalties. What's to say he doesn't come back for whatever the modern equivalent, you know, the equivalent of that at that time of Brentford is? You know, the smaller London club or the smaller big city club who have got aspirations of getting towards the bottom end of Europe but are happy if they finish 15th. He'll play every game. He doesn't have European competition to wear down his legs. So I, I honestly think he, I honestly think he would go over to another country, in this case, we'll say Bayern, to Germany, and knowing that in two, three, four years he could come back and still have a few years left on his career to chase down that, uh, you know, that 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 you know, all-time goal-scoring title. On your first question, I'm very worried. I am really, really worried. Um, the, the thing that gives me hope that they'll give Postacoglu time is that the last time Tottenham got a project manager in, it was Pochettino, and they gave him time and they gave him funds. Uh, and they also gave him the windfall of selling Gareth Bale as well. So there are some parallels to Postacoglu's time and Pochettino's time in the early doors. So I am worried because this is a different Tottenham to what it was, what was that, eight, nine, ten years ago now? But, you know, there are some parallels there that Lee, that Daniel Levy has done the right thing by his managers before. And I'm hoping that he has learned his lesson from the whole Mourinho and Conte experience. I'm not confident of it, but I'm hoping. So he, Harry Kane is roughly around 50 goals behind Alan Shearer right now. Mm-hmm. 
My concern would be if he comes back as a 34-year-old, He's you're talking maybe two, three seasons. You're talking 17, 16, 17 goals a season. It's, it's, yeah. it's, doable, for, it's doable for Kane, but it'll all depend on the team he goes to as well. Is he going back to Tottenham? Because that may... Yeah, if Ange gets his way, it could be a different team. Yeah, I don't think he'd play enough for the team of Tottenham's level at that age. Um yeah, that's where I think you'd have to go to that, um, you know, upwardly upwardly mobile mid-table smaller club, quote-unquote smaller club. Um, I don't know, maybe he comes to Everton and becomes this this generation's Kevin Campbell. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I, I still think like, it, it's tough getting into the guy's head, but if you ask me to weigh up whether Kane would want the... I guess the accolade of having a trophy, having a tin pot, or the accolade of being the all-time leading scorer, I think he'd take the tin pot and try and get the scoring record later. Because he might not get that move to a high-end Champions League club in when he's yeah. 32, 33. Exactly. And since we're talking about Kane, who, who do we think is going to be the top goal scorer next season? <laughs> or is it a stupid question? That that beautiful, the, the beautiful blonde flowing locks of Erling Haaland will get it done yet again. He he'll he'll do it and he'll do it comfortably. Do you think he drops off or do you think he takes another step? Because <clears throat> they got what fifty something goals last season. Yeah, across all comps, it was like fifty-two goals in fifty-one appearances or something like that. Um, I don't know whether he has another step in him. I mean, he doesn't need one when he's scoring a goal a game, but. If he does drop off, it's going to be marginal. You know, it might be instead of, you know, low 50s in 50 appearances, it might be 45 in 50 appearances. Having said that, I think he's going to stay within two or three goals of where he was the season just gone. I, I, I think that is his level. If he gets lucky, he might get yeah. a few more. If he gets unlucky, he might get a few less. But I would pencil him in for between 45 and 55 again. Before we go on to uh, Saudi money, I do want to go back to one thing you said at the beginning of the podcast. You, you mentioned that if Luton don't get off to a blistering start, they could be in trouble. My concern for Luton is not the start. My concern is staying in the race until those last 10 games or so. Those last 10 games, we have, as it's scheduled right now, Forest, Bournemouth, Brentford, Wolves, Everton, West Ham, and Fulham in those 10 games. Now, we also have Tottenham, Arsenal, and City, which you're probably not expecting to get anything out. But if we go into the last 10 games of the season with a chance, I will be I will be very, very happy and more than confident that we can stay up because I think of those teams I mentioned, I think we can beat every single one of them. Yeah, I mean... When, by the time we get to that stage of the season, we'll have a rough idea of who can beat who. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's potentially, out of that last 10 games, just, what, six relegation six-pointers? Yeah. You, you win four of those, and you're probably up. You win three of those, and you're probably up, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah no, that's I didn't realise you had that sort of close. Um, what do you... Just out of interest, what are Luton's say five games before that? You're talking about staying in the race. What are they? What's their say the month leading up to that last ten? So the last ten runs from 
rules from the middle of March because you've got Forest as it stands right now without any changes or anything, any cancellations, any changes, anything like that. You've got Forest, yeah. then you've got an international break, then you've got Tottenham, Arsenal, Tottenham away, Forest at home, Tottenham away, Arsenal away, Bournemouth at home, City away, Brentford at home, Wolves away, Everton at home, West Ham away, and then Fulham at home. That runs from mm. the middle of March. So the five games before that, I mean, again, the five games before that, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be, I, I think we can take seven points from the five games because it's Sheffield United at home, Manchester United at home, Liverpool away, Villa at home, and Palace away. So even the five before yeah. that is not horrible apart from the United and Liverpool, obviously, you would think. Yeah. So there could be a little bit of a, yeah, and that would suggest to me that you've got a pretty rough run before that. So, and that was why I was asking about those five. So in that last, you know, from say 25 games left of the you know, plate of the season onwards, even if you're sitting 18th, 19th, as long as you're within say six points yep. of, of 17th, you've probably got a reasonable shot. Um, yep. Yes, there's some really tough games in there, but even some of those ones that you would expect to not win, United are notoriously flaky away from Old Trafford. Um, mm-hmm. Don't tend to get a lot of wins away from Selhurst. So, you know, who knows what we could get from Tottenham. So there's there's certainly some ones where it's not just the six-pointers. There's some scalps to be had there as well. Yeah. That's, that's not that's for, a really good running. For me, the concern, the concern is November and December because November we have three games which are Liverpool United and Palace and in December we have one two three four five six seven games of which we have Arsenal City Newcastle and Chelsea now saying that they're all at home and it is the Christmas period they do throw up a few surprises but to me if we can get through November and December and still be realistically in the race or realistically um be there thereabouts to, to then I think we have that, that last portion of the season from January on. I think we have every chance. Yeah, look, I agree. Um, that's a really good run. The city, uh, sorry, the Christmas period though, you, you probably don't want to be playing the bigger clubs around then because that, you know, that compacted fixture over that week and a half, it tends to favour the bigger clubs with the bigger squads, the deeper squads. They yeah. can rotate and still bring in, you know, they can drop six players and bring in six internationals. And, you, you know, Luton or even Everton, we dropped six players, we're bringing in four academy kids. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, you're bringing a knife to a, a gunfight to use an old David Moysism. So it's one of those ones where if you've got those teams over the Christmas break, you almost, I hate to say it, but you almost sort of, you know, wave those games and play your weaker sides and, and decide to focus on the other ones. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree. Luton. Just looking at that fixture list that you've read out, though, Gav, if Luton are there or thereabouts at the start of March, um, even if they're a little bit behind, you know, they're in the red at the start of March, they've got a good shot of coming out of that. They, you know, they'll, they'll have their future in their hands. It's not like they're relying yeah. on, you know, Tottenham teams. to scam or something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'll be honest with you. When the fixture list came out, obviously it was games I looked for. Obviously the United mm-hmm. game because all my family are United supporters. That was the first one I looked for. Then you look for the big teams. You look for Liverpool, Arsenal, City, 
Um, but then when I did look at that, those last, I think it was about 10 games or so that I looked at, I went, I just, I just looked and I went, oh shit. It, it, like if, if we're not too, too far away, if we haven't done a Southampton by that point, we have three chance of staying in this, staying in this division. And as you said, it'll be very much in our hands. Southampton is a very, very good comp. If you can avoid doing what they've done, because I mean, they were cut adrift by February. By late January, yeah. really. So, if you can avoid that, yeah, you, you're in with a reasonable share of the second season. Yeah, just let's hope that they don't sack Rob Edwards and bring in Nathan Jones. Uh, <laughs> again, for a third time, uh, we, we are going to talk about Saudi money. Obviously, the Saudi league has been the talk of the summer with some of the players they're bringing in. Uh, they spent mm-hmm. a load of money, mainly at Chelsea, which I'm sure helped <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> but Pep came out and said that he wanted to keep Mares, but he just couldn't offer him a deal that would be substantial enough to keep him away from the Saudi League. Mm. A lot of people are now thinking the Saudi League is going to be a problem. What, what do you think about that, chart? On the surface, it does appear to be, because remember, this is a side, uh, sorry, a, a league that is outside of um, UEFA. So, it doesn't have to worry about financial fair play for its continental competition or anything like that. Um, the fact that they've, you know, generally you look at the US, you know, Saudi Arabia, Asia, Australia as well, we tend to get the guys who are 33, 34, you know, on their way down, or the guys that are 28, 29, but have played in, um, you know, say a Romanian league or Bundesliga 2 or something like that to get. Um, yeah, and, and you look at someone like Henderson is a perfect example of someone like that. Now, there's a whole other batch of reasons why he shouldn't have gone there, which we may or may not touch on. Um, but the thing that got me, I mentioned Ruben Neves before. He is a quality, quality player, smack bang in the middle of his prime, and he's gone there. Riyad Mahrez is another one. Quality player, tail end of his prime, but still awesome. The... The thing that gives me pause as to whether this is some big footballing revolution, though, is Oscar, if you remember him, the Chelsea, little Brazilian Chelsea midfielder. He was a player in his prime who went to China when there was a whole raft of ageing players who went to China and everybody went all henny-penny. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. And that revolution never really took off. So I'm wondering whether this is going to be something similar where for a few years we're going... Oh, wow. Like, you know, you jump on like a, or you hear Barry Glendening on Football Weekly saying, Oh, I didn't know he was playing in Saudi Arabia. And you sort of go, Oh, yeah, no, all the Saudi Arabian leagues doing this and that and the other. But then in three, four years' time, it's not news anymore because nothing really came of it. Um, the thing that makes me think, like, again, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that it's going to follow that China path of a flash in the pan type of, of league, a type of competitor for Europe. The thing that gives me pause about that is the the fact that there's so many Middle Eastern, um, I guess, investment funds, government-run investment funds, buying up clubs. We never really saw that with China. They would buy some, say, mid-tier, uh, you know, Serie A sides or something like that. Like they, I think Perugia was bought by the Chinese at one point. But it was never, you know, Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, even Newcastle, you know, it wasn't those types of clubs that they were buying. So this is another level up from what China were doing. 
But at the same time, we have seen a version of this before and it didn't last too long. I'm not really sure what to think right now, but I am more worried about this than I was about the, you know, China, I guess, breaking up the European monopoly of, of quality footballers. I think they're doing exactly what the Premier League did at, did at one point, which was they had so much money they were spending on the best players, or the, the, the not the necessarily the best players, but the, the second tier of players that were all, all, all mm. quality, quality players. I think that's what Saudi Arabia are starting to do now, obviously starting with the, with the players that are near the end of their careers and then mm. working their way back. It, it, it'll take a couple of years and it'll be interesting to see if they they keep they hold their nerve if they keep up the interest in it because that's yeah. going to be the main thing i think in china they did it for a couple of years and then everyone just kind of lost interest and at that point it was like it's just it's just like that toy that you have that you love when you first get but after a while it's just it's old and it's boring and you just put it to one side and you forget about it you know i think that's the way it was with china it's going to be interesting to see if the saudis keep up and keep that interest in the game uh, moving moving forward. Yeah, um, COVID definitely hurt the Chinese, um, yes. you know, expansion efforts, for want of a better word, as well. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's a really good parallel, um, the Premier League doing it in the you know, early to mid-90s, is you think about where, where the Premier League started buying its ageing stars from, and it was from the best league in the world in the 80s, which is Serie A. You know, they'd buy Zola and Sadoff and Kasaragi and Desai and all these sort of... Like, I think I'm just listing Chelsea players now. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, it was, it was um, you know, Rude Hullet, another one. But they were all buying guys who had come... Even Bergkamp, you know, who was still in his prime but hadn't really hit his potential in, in Italy. But they were buying all these guys from the best league in the world. The Premier League is now, is you know, rightly considered the best league in the world right now. So it makes sense that that's where the prim, uh, sorry the the Saudi league is going to try and poach its players from. Um, yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that parallel, but it's a really good one. One thing though, what does it say that the Saudis are buying all these players and they don't want Romelu Lukaku? I I was under the assumption that they did want Romelu Lukaku, but Romelu Lukaku didn't want to go there. He really? wants to stay in Europe. That that's that's what I've been getting because when when you when you consider the amount of players that Chelsea have offloaded this summer to the Saudi league um, in particular, uh, you would think that Lukaku to that league would be a, a no brainer. But he said he's made, yeah, but I think I think what's happened is he's made it clear to Chelsea that he only wants to go to Inter Milan, but Inter Milan don't have the money. So I think it's kind of like AC Milan is the next best bet. But I don't understand that either. You're going to the team who you claim to love, Inter Milan, their biggest rivals. That, that'd be like someone going from Luton to Watford. Just, it, yeah, it, no, it, it, it happens, but you're not going to be a favourite for it. No, exactly. It's, it's like sitting there saying, you know, I, I really, really, really want to join Liverpool, but I'm going to join Everton just because yeah. I, 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 just, I just love looking at the live ability. You know, it's like, it's... Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But um, look, to be honest, I think Milan, I think Milan have got the better of the ex-Chelsea players in uh, who they signed Loftus Cheek and um, Pulisic. A snip both of those two. Thirty-two million for the two of them. That particularly Pulisic could prove to be an absolute giveaway at seventeen mil. 
that kid has got yep. so much potential and he was just stonewalled at every opportunity under that what 74 strong playing list or whatever it was in that Chelsea first team. And injuries didn't help admittedly, but he will get all the opportunity he can handle playing for, for Milan. And I think Loftus Cheek will sign as well. He strikes me as a very Italian type of player. Very deliberate, very technically proficient, tactically astute, but also big and strong and physical and can handle himself. But yeah, you know, not not particularly pacey. Um, yeah, yeah, especially after his injuries. So, I, I think those two are brilliant, brilliant buys by Milan, and I don't see why they would want to spend anything close to the money that Chelsea would want on Lukaku. I think if Pulisic gets back to the form that he showed at Dortmund, I think he'll be. I think he'll be a revelation in Italy, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if after a couple of years, a bigger club is then coming knocking again to say, "Hey, let's come play for us." Someone like a, I know Barcelona don't have any money, or say they don't have any money, but like a, like some of Barcelona, Real Madrid, or PSG, I don't necessarily think he'll maybe, ever come back uh, to England again. Maybe Al Halal. Let's see what money they've there got go. for him. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. So. <laughs> You, you, when you, when you did the uh, re- previews on Vendetta Sports, you would always. The last question was always, "Give me uh, a weird take. Give me a weird take for the season." So, what's oh, your weird take for the season? You've you've done this to me unannounced, Gav. Oh, um, give me a moment. Give me a moment. Go with yours because okay. yours are always I'll, better than mine anyway. I'll give you mine. Mine is obviously Luton related. Uh, so Luton go to the last day of the season. They play Fulham at home. They it's their safety is in their own hands. A win and they stay up. Anything less than that, and there's a chance they go down. The 95th minute, we're in injury time. Ball comes across, and Tom Lockyer, after everything they went through in the in the playoff final uh, last season, rises up and heads it home to win the game for Luton Town. Rob Edwards at the final whistle sprints across the pitch in David Pleat esque style to be met by David Pleat coming from the other side as they embrace in a hug. Oh, that's that's lovely. That's my one. That's my one. <laughs> All right. I normally go for something about Liverpool because I really dislike Liverpool, but because Luton are in the Premier League, I have to do something about Luton. See, this is why you and I are friends. Uh... <laughs> Um, look, this one is uh, this is a stream of consciousness here because you did give me this one unannounced. I didn't expect this question, but it's um, final day of the season. Think the Aguero year, United and City tied up the top of the table. Mm. Harland absolutely killing it. Suddenly, there's a rip in the time space continuum, and Terminator Nemanja Vidic comes back through time. Oh. <laughs> I might have to put, I might have to flesh this one out and put it on my vendetta previews. Uh, <laughs> comes back through the space time continuum, ends up you know doing some sort of weird wrestling with the modern Terminator Harland, gets him in dry ice, rips his legs off, and then eventually drops him into molten molten steel, and City lose the title as a result. Lose the title to United. Lose the title to United because Ooh. Terminator Vidic kills Terminator Harland. That's actually you've got me thinking now. Like obviously Holland's kind of dominated the league, but if you go back a couple of years when defenders were less pretty boy and less play from play out from the back and more just physical, rough, tough, how do you think he'd get on against someone like a Vidic or a Stam? He's or Tony Adams. Well, 
you, I mean, you could name just about any of them. I mean, this is before we even get into the Razor Ruddocks and, and those sort of guys. Um, look, he's still six foot four. And, you know, he, if he was brought, if he was raised in an era where it was much more physical, where you had a lot more butchers, um, I think he'd be the sort who'd be able to look at it this way. He's Duncan Ferguson with speed and way better technical ability. If you put if you put him into that era, I think he'd be able to handle himself just fine. But unlike Big Dunk, and my God, I, I love Big Dunk with all of my bl- royal blue heart. Duncan Ferguson couldn't run away from anyone. Harland can beat you up and run away from you. So I think he'd actually handle himself pretty well. He'd have to be retrained or since we're talking about him as a robot, reprogrammed to be much more physical and, you know, know how to give those little kicks behind the play. But I don't doubt that he could do it. Like, he's, he's just a... Like, you put him in any era and I think he would thrive. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's just one of them players that's a generational talent. I, I think no matter where you put him and no matter what style of play you want to play... Like, the big thing with him coming over last year was that oh, well, you know, he's not going to fit the City style of play. He fit the City style of play just fine. He scored 50-plus goals. I, I think that's I think that's doing just fine. Uh, yeah. did, did City adapt a little bit? Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, any team but, would when yeah. you have a talent like that. So did Haaland. You know, he was used to running yeah. in behind a lot with Dortmund. He had to play in front of, of the strike... Sorry, in front of the, the central defender a lot more with City. But he still adapted perfectly fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the kid's just an absolute freak. He, he's, he's, I've never seen anything like him. You know, I'm clearly too young to remember, you know, what's another high-scoring big forward. Um, yeah, clearly I'm too young for Pele or Duncan Drogba. Edwards or that. Yeah, Drog. well, yeah, he's, he's like the the billionaire's Drogba. Yeah. Yeah, Drogba Drog with more technical ability and more agility and more speed. Yeah. It's it's absurd, this bloke. It's looking like, like an upgraded drug, but so yeah. before you go, one more thing before you go. What's your what what's the one thing as an Everton fan, what's the one thing you look at this season and go, shit, if that happens, we could be really, really fucking screwed. We play football. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am coming into this season with the minimal, minimal level of expectation, Gav. Um, because you've I, lost I honestly, a lot of defenders, haven't you? You lost Cody, you lost Mina. Yeah, Mina. Mina's a big loss. I mean, look, he's, he's always injured, but when he played, he was quality, absolute quality. He was only good for, you know, 15 to 18 games a season, but they were always excellent games. Um, Cody Cody fell away under Dyche, like, massively. I, I think... Yeah, the, the knock on him is he's always been better in, in the middle of a back three than as, as yeah. a, one of a, a pair. And I think that bore fruit once Dice took over and he went back to that back four. Um, having said that, I know there's been talk of him wanting to leave, but I'm really excited for Branthwaite. Uh, he looks the goods. He looks really good. Genuinely two-footed, big, strong, brave. He's quick, reads the play beautifully. Um, he's the sort of guy that I'm hoping he stays with us for another two years but I'll be thankful if we get one more. Um, but he's destined for far better things. Uh, apparently, we're talking about selling Holgate. Um, I will literally fly from Australia to Liverpool and drive him to the airport. 
Um, you know, honest soldier, but not a Premier League player. Um, yeah, look, we have lost. Saying our defense, saying saying we're thin defensively is like you could say that about literally any part of our squad. So I feel like saying we're thin, yeah, we've lost a lot of players and now we're thin. It doesn't really hold much weight because we're thin everywhere. If we get injuries, we're fucked. Basically, we, we just don't have the quality coming through. Um, yeah, I, I'm my big thing is it's going to be boring. It's going to be a grind because this is dodgeball. But right now, dodgeball is our best hope of staying in the top flight. Are you concerned about scoring? Because looking at the table from last season, I think there was only one team that scored less goals than you guys last season. That was Wolves. And obviously, the boat has stayed up. But Calvert Lewin can't stay fit. You're getting the kid, the kid from Sporting, but you're you're really relying on a on a what 19, 20 year old to to prop up your 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 strike force. I I I personally think that's going to be one area of Everton's team where they have to do something, and it has to be like it can't be like a, a young kid. It has to be. I'm surprised they didn't go after Yakares uh, from Coventry. Hmm. Yeah, well, apparently they did, um, but I don't think it really went anywhere. He would have been a great signing. Um, look, Ellis Sims is a player. He he is really good. A lot of people expect him to be a big battering ram because he's six foot three and built like a like a house. But he is quick. He's a he's an in behind type of player, very modern forward in that sense. Um, he's got the goods. He just needs a little bit of time. Um, we I would like you know one more legitimate forward because. Neil Neil Malpay cannot be as bad as he was last season. But at the same time, if he improves 100% on what he was last season, he still shouldn't go near the pitch. He was god-awful last campaign. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I am genuinely worried about what happens if if Calvert-Lewin doesn't play 25 games and score 15 goals. And if he plays 25 games, he will score 15 goals. We will create just enough opportunities, and he is a really, really good finisher. But he's made of biscuits, and I, I just don't know what happens if we only get 15, even 20 games out of him. That really worries me. We can't rely on Damari Gray, who is apparently got one foot out the door anyway. Dwight McNeil is good, but if you're having to play him consistently as a centre forward rather than a winger, you're in trouble. So... They've got to have a big step up from Sims, and we've got to find some, you know, miracle cure for whatever ails DCL. But I am worried. I'm with you. I'm really worried about a goal scoring. Pickford is brilliant, but he can't save us forever. It's weird because the one area to pitch I'm not worried about Luton is is scoring. I think mm. Morris proved last season that he's, he's a goal scorer. Adebayo proved the season before he's a goal scorer. Woodrow's shown in the Premier League before when he was with Fulham that he can score. You know, it's it's the one area to pitch I'm not really concerned about. It's whether we can create enough chances for them to score and then whether our defence can hold good enough. And if we can actually well, sign a goalkeeper before the actual season starts, because right now we're playing James Shea. <laughs> hey, look, I, I give me a pre-season. I'll be fit enough. I'm 44. <laughs> Fair enough, I've been retired for six years. But, you know, let's, let's see, what, <laughs> see, what the, uh, see what the golden gloves. Um now, my, my worry with Luton, you've got finishes, but like I think you said the key word is creating enough chances because there will come a point where you're going to have to be pra- pragmatic and say, we need to tighten up our defence. And does that 
do we do that at the expense of going the other way and creating chances for all of these finishes? Yes, we've got these great finishes, but they're not going to finish. You know, they're not going to have a hundred percent strike rate. We're going yeah. to have to create X amount of chances to score you know, one and a half goals on average. And one and a half goals a game might be enough for us to stay up. 1.8 goals or something like that. But if you're conceding two the other way, obviously that's a problem. So it's a matter of where you find that tipping point between creating chances and giving up chances at the other end. Because defensively, Luton are weak. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I wouldn't want to have to be in the shoes of trying to find that balance between going forward and entertaining yep. and pragmatic and getting points. It's a, it's a tough yeah. one. Yeah. I just, I, I do think, but I just hope that I'm right, that Rob Edwards gets the season no matter what anyway, after everything that he's done. So it, it, it's the one bright spot in that I think no matter, will be one of the clubs next season, I think, where no matter what happens, the manager's not going anywhere, uh, which will be a nice relief. We won't have to keep talking about it. Jared. I appreciate you coming on and joining me. We'll be doing this again before the Everton game, I'm sure, where we'll get more into the fact of Luton versus Everton, which should be, should be, should be fun. (laughs) (laughs) I am. Everton is one of the games I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's exactly why it's one of the ones I'm not. (laughs) But I'm sure you'll be back on at that point to talk Everton, but I appreciate you coming on and uh, I cannot wait to see Nemanja Vidic last day of the season. Take take care of Erling Haaland and do us all a favor. I'll flesh out that story a little. We'll, we'll refine it a bit. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Gavin. Great to be here, mate.